0: Well, hello there. I'm Jason and he's Rich and you're listening to Remastered, the show in which we remaster our childhood memories of all the things that made the 80s and 90s so great. Tonight we're talking about the 1984 kids spy fantasy Cloak and Dagger, starring Elliot from ET and that chauvinist boss from 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton.
1: Is that where I know him from? I Yeah. He's yeah, great dep- that dude. And- What's his he name? Is Sorry, what's Dabney um,
0: Coleman. He made an entire career out of being this smarmy, oily kind of bad guy. Except in this
1: movie. I I seem to remember him from other things in which he was a good guy. I'm just bringing up his IMDb now. It's dope.
0: It's a lot of TV you'll find.
1: I've seen him in loads of stuff. I think I'm very comfortable watching him. I do like him as an actor. <laughs>
0: Other things you'll see on that IMDb page there, uh, this movie gets a 6.2 out of 10, which I think might be a, gr- a bit gracious, despite our nostalgia. It is bad, isn't it? 6. Well, 6.2. Rotten Tomatoes, if you if you were to head over there, it gives it only a 50%, which I think is a little bit more appropriate. It yeah. is kind of a coin toss movie.
1: See now, oh, of course, he's he's the Commodore in Boardwalk Empire now. I've just remembered that. He's great uh, A
0: show I haven't seen yet. You would,
1: dude. Oh, you you would like that. I think. It's a little slow sometimes. It's actually sometimes as if they suddenly realize they've not done anything big for a little while and then do lots in I one go. I promise it's on my list. But yeah, you'd, you'd like it. There's been some <laughs> rather brutal moments this last season, actually. Even Alison likes it. And you know how hard she is to impress.
0: She is. She's she's a little bit more um. well, I guess we should say a little bit less hindbrainer <laughs> than... than... <laughs> we we like explosions yeah it takes to make her happy
1: uh, that sounds about right i like that yeah so Coke and dagger i i'm convinced that the only three people in the world who've seen this are me you and whoever uploaded it to youtube
0: which is where we both watched it and i've got to say universal must be just losing millions of dollars left and right on, on that one
1: i know i think the number of plays on the last part was three or something like that which I assumed the game was you me and the Guy who uploaded it.
0: (laughs) I think we should give a a brief synopsis of what this movie is about, since so few people have seen it.
1: Yes. Okay. Do you want to do that?
0: Oh, sure. Uh, Let's see. How to sum this one up. Because it gets a little bit complicated. Um, Okay. Uh, Henry Thomas, who played Elliot in E.T., is a little kid who's prone to letting his imagination run wild. And because of that, nobody believes him when he gets involved in a real-life spy plot. But his imaginary friend that he's invented helps him through it.
1: Yeah, his imaginary friend called Jack Black.
0: <laughs> uh, Isn't I, it? I don't. I don't think that is. What? <laughs> no.
1: Have I just made that up in my Jack? Jack Flack. <laughs> Jack Flack. Yeah i I was watching it on YouTube, for God's sake. Not seven point one surround sound. I'm happier that it's Jack <laughs> Flack, because that's that's less that's less annoying now. Yeah.
0: yeah. Glad uh, I shouted
1: that out in front of everyone. I'm gonna shut up now.
0: If you glance through the rest of that IMDb stuff, oh, weird yeah. thing about this movie, directed by Richard Franklin, whose only other claim to fame was your favorite movie, Rich Psycho Two.
1: Yeah, that's a great. I've never actually seen it.
0: But this movie has like all kinds of weird psycho uh references and um like the old couple, the the weird old couple, the lady with the two fingers. Yeah, first of all, those two are married in real life or were before they died. All right, and they were both in psycho.
1: Really you yeah. see, i I must admit the two bits, uh I think it was parts five and six. see this we're illustrating why it's bad to watch movies on YouTube. They were a bit choppy, and I missed a lot of stuff with the old people.
0: The old people were always really creepy when I was growing up. They they were a little bit scary. I, gotta admit.
1: Had, I had little flashbacks, emotional flashbacks of fearing this woman with the, the missing fingers.
0: It well, did. the missing fingers were the reason, right? That was just so weird growing up.
1: It really was, and I didn't see it. was revealed strangely as well. And Am I right in thinking this old woman was in Herbie? As well, I have to double-check this now. She was in, um let's see, what was
0: that? Herbie the? the Love Bug, the, the Disney movie. Yeah.
1: She was the little old lady in the Love Bug. I'm just trying, <laughs> I can't find, what was her name? I'm guessing Eunice McCready, because there's a George McCready as a character. Was she in the Horse Whisperer? No, we've got to go back further. Quincy, TJ Hooker. When did the love bug come out? That will have been 70s, won't it? Control
0: F. Control F.
1: Ah, Oh, no, that's the love boat.
0: Or in your case, Apple F.
1: Yeah, I should do that, shouldn't I? Search for bug. Oh, it's found nothing. That's weird. I'm sure it's the same old lady. Mind (laughs) you, you know what old ladies are like? They all look the same to me. (laughs) I'm convinced. I swear that's her. Now I should just look up the love bug. That's the way forward.
0: Henry Thomas, though, was in Psycho 4. There's another weird psycho connection.
1: Henry Thomas has done all right for himself, hasn't he? To say he was a, a child star. And all well, he and that. hasn't
0: stopped acting. He hasn't done a whole lot that's been terrific. He was in that uh, Patrick Stewart version of Moby Dick.
1: He was in Lost.
0: He was, wasn't for he? For
1: a couple of seasons. He was in Saving Private Ryan. And, and
0: this, I don't remember which character he played, but he was in Gangs of New York. That was a high-profile movie.
1: It was. It had been second fiddle to Leonardo DiCaprio in that one, though. Um, and he was in uh, The Suicide Kings, which is an awesome, awesome film.
0: And since then, he's been a slew, in a slew of procedurals on CBS, like uh, CSI and The Mentalist, without a trace. But then again, who hasn't? So
1: Yeah, I think that's your equivalent of the bill. Um. To to explain, there is a, a like a police drama that ran here for sort of thirty years called The Bill, which is a, a slang name for the police, uh, and it it was it came, it became pretty much a soap opera. But basically, there is the running joke: anyone who has been on television in this country has at some point been a baddie on the Bill or <laughs> in a gang on the. But every actor you can look up, you go back far enough, they've been in the Bill. Or on a program called Casualty. Guarantee hm. it. Every, everyone has done... It, it's ridiculous when you look up... Let me find you a link. If you look up Casualty on IMDB... And look at the cast list... Uh, just o- over the seasons... It just becomes absolutely ridiculous. Um, let me find... Series cast. 1986? Yeah, it's a BBC yep. series. Everyone's been on this show. I'm just trying to find some names. I'm sure I saw... uh God, what's his name? <laughs> now all names have left my head. Gary Oldman. Many people. Anyway, ignore me.
0: Well, the, those names aren't jumping out right away. They're, they're but not. There's I'm, 30 years worth of them to scan, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it would be more obvious than that, to be honest, when I got us onto this. I thought we'd see it, and it'd be, oh, right, that, I'm that name, I'm that person, and I'm not seeing any that I could say that you'd recognize. I'm assuming anyone fa- famous enough for me to be saying this about would have a photo next to their name, and there's not many of those. So you think it'd be easy. I really regret bringing us here. That's <laughs> Let's go back to Cloak and Dagger. Um, Sorry, I would. I'm not. I'm still scanning in the hope that I can just shout one out at the last minute. There's nothing. I'm talking garbage again. Right, I'm going back to Cloak and Dagger now. Sorry. Um, There was something you wanted me to. You specifically mentioned that you wanted me to look at the comments on the IMDb page for this.
0: Well, it has to do with the end. So, do you want to spoil this sucker?
1: I don't think anyone's going to watch it just because we talked about this. (laughs) And I don't think we should actively encourage this. It's not like Red Dawn, where we can say, oh, you've got to see Red Dawn. No, this is not
0: a quality film. It's just a film that was fun for a certain generation.
1: So, is it the, uh, the message boards I'm looking at?
0: Yeah, down at the bottom. I think it's even the top thread. It talks about the ending.
1: The sad ending is the top thread on the message board.
0: Right. Because at the end, the way that I think it's supposed to have been interpreted was that they kill the bad guys by blowing them up on a plane with a bomb. And uh, Davey, the main character, his father, walks away from the explosion, never looking back because he's too cool, and runs up and grabs Davy and hugs him. And that's supposed to be, oh, you know, the father survived. He's the real hero, blah, 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 yeah. But the thread on IMDb suggests, hey... Um, he didn't really make it. This is, this is Davy's overactive imagination that's already produced Jack Flack, a, a weird imaginary friend who's a spy. And throughout the course of the film, Davy kind of grows up and realizes that his dad is the hero, not Jack Flack. And so this is Davy's dad dies in the explosion aboard the plane, can't get off the plane, and Davy's imagination, he's now replaced Jack Flack with his dad as his imaginary friend.
1: I can see that. It makes sense. I can absolutely see how someone can say that. I choose to believe that his dad survives and he realizes that his dad is the real hero, all of that sort of thing.
0: Well, the more I think about it, how did his dad get off the plane? Because, okay, the plane's taxiing down the runway. There's a bomb. It's got a few seconds left on it. It's in the back. Dad picks Davy off, throws him out the pilot's window, which is very, very small tiny so tiny that Davey can barely fit out of it how did the dad get off the plane I don't know he couldn't have gone through the same window
1: no maybe he did maybe in, in like one of those moments of of severe panic and tension when humans get superhuman power you know those times um, he smashed his way out yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it's but that's crazy, jumping you know. way forward to the end way forward
1: yeah, let's let's go back to the beginning.
0: Well, let me ask you this, Rich. Have, have you had an imaginary friend? No. No you n- no memories of this whatsoever? Your parents don't tell you that you had one?
1: No. Nope. Not something that I went in for. I've imagined I that I had friends. That's, <laughs> that's just sadder.
0: <laughs> I don't think you're going to like what I have to say then, because I did a little bit of digging around about imaginary friends, and it seems like the most intelligent kids are the ones that invent them. <laughs>
1: right sorry oh sorry did you imaginary friends oh i I misheard you before because i actually had had a lot of those
0: i that's what i thought yeah Yeah. you said like 30 of them right yeah you were the most popular kid on the imaginary block
1: exactly that's what i meant to say before (laughs) uh no genuinely no imaginary friends that i have a memory of (laughs) i mean god no i i can't remember any
0: i i remember i had two I can't remember what their names were. I think one was named Bert.
1: Getting back to the film, I choose to believe that his dad survived. I'm not going to look into how or why, because the alternative is dark. Do you know what? As Alison pointed out when we were watching it, this was had some extremely dark moments for a kid's film. like uh, bit, Especially
0: one that's rated PG.
1: Yeah. I mean, the bit when the guy's got him cornered with this massive machine gun, and he's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to blow your kneecaps off, and that's just going to hurt you. And well, then, the
0: fact that they're they're willing to shoot at and try to murder a little kid just to begin with—I mean,
1: that—that's
0: a, a place where Hollywood doesn't go these days. That
1: oh. was even something that that shocked me the very first moment, as he sees the. So what happens? He's going. He's going to find some Twinkies for his friend, playing at being on a mission when he witnesses this crime, and so he sees the guy in the lab coat get shot and fall down the step. Pardon me, I'm on Pepsi. Um, <laughs> he gets shot and falls down the stairwell, which is quite spectacular. And, and this I, is
0: how he gets drawn into the whole spy plot yeah. to begin with, right? And then but he, without, he sees a guy shot right in front of him, and it—they don't pull any punches about
1: how no. it's shown either. But it was just with no hesitation, the guy starts shooting at him. Not, oh, should I murder this child in cold blood? No, I'm gonna kill him straight away. He's off.
0: Yeah, there's no moral seesawing going on in their minds at all.
1: No, it was it was. It was very vicious for a kid's film. But- well,
0: not only that, but in the first four minutes, they have this opening vignette that's all playing out in Danny's mind. It's, it's, in a, it's a board game that he's playing with his friend, but they're treating it like it's real. Um, Jack Flack is going into an embassy on a mission, and there's two murders right in that four-minute opening sequence as well. Point-blank, shot-in-the-head murders. Yeah. One of them's a woman, too, which is really pretty rare these days.
1: You don't get a lot of that either. No, you're right. It's uh, it's just a very, very harsh film. I enjoyed it though, you know.
0: It, it little, was uh, fun.
1: Only for nostalgic purposes. Really. It was a bit long. I actually found it quite short, but maybe that's because I was watching it in 10 minute parts. I feel so bad for uh, admitting all of this. <laughs> it's true that I didn't upload it to YouTube or anything. I haven't bit torrented it, if that helps you know so was this actually a a game cloak and dagger
0: well yes and no there was a game called agent x it was an arcade game and it was out for a few months before the movie came out but when the movie came out they rebranded it all so that it was cloak and dagger and right. that's what you see him playing in the in the movie itself
1: so was this this wasn't like a film by Atari? not like this wasn't to atari what the wizard was to nintendo
0: well, there was a lot of accusation at the time that it came out that it was supposed to be a, an Atari branded movie and you can see it all through the film. I mean, there's logos everywhere and the main MacGuffin of the movie is he's carrying around an Atari 5200 cartridge with this game on it, which the game never actually came out on the 5200 because of the video game crash of 83. But, uh, That's yeah, the kind I mean, of was... thing
1: that ju- drives video game nerds mental, that stuff.
0: well I always wanted the game I looked and looked and looked for it because as a kid I didn't have access to the internet yet I mean I was a fan of this movie in like 1988, 1989 before the internet was even a thing I didn't know that it wasn't a real game or wasn't out Um, so every time that I went to the Salvation Army or a yard sale or to some sort of a, a, a rummage sale I would keep my eye out and I would always see Atari 2600 cartridges but the 5200 was this elusive machine that nobody
1: had it was a bit. I don't think they sold many.
0: Oh, I I don't think that they did well. Like I said, the video game crash of nineteen eighty three was was terrible for the industry, and the only reason that video games are what they are now is because Nintendo came out with something bigger and better that just it it blew up.
1: Yeah. Um. I'm just looking at the little girl in this film. She's not a little girl anymore. I just. She wondered... never did anything though. Uh, it was Harry and the Hendersons, two episodes in '92. No, right. right. The, the one anything. with
0: um, uh, what's his name? Kevin Michael Hall, the the Predator. He was Harry.
1: Oh right. Fair enough. Oh, and uh, Mr. Belvedere. I have no idea what that is, but I've heard about it a lot. Is that uh, it? the it, the humorous it a adventures of an Amer- an English housekeeper working for an American <laughs> family? Oh my God.
0: yeah about that we have some stereotypes rich i'm not sure if you know
1: (laughs) yeah it's already i can play out an episode in my head from beginning to end it's it's all there bless i actually do you know what the thing is with american stereotyping of, of english people is generally it's not a negative stereotyping no, and, it's, and it's I,
0: just made to look you, make you look a little bit ridiculous, just yeah, a tiny bit.
1: I kind of almost feel bad that we aren't like you think we are, because <laughs> <laughs> you know we're not that bright and clever and 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 well educated. We're actually far worse than you think we are. So we're we're just a disappointment, really, as a nation. I think that's the best way of summing us up. Quite disappointing. <laughs> not as smart as you thought they were.
0: It's actually funny from my perspective, at least I'll, somebody will probably tell me I'm wrong, but um, I think that we have made you more sophisticated as the years have gone by. Cause in the eighties, I think that the British stereotype was one of roly poly, good natured, well-meaning bumblers. And now it's more like slick and uh, hard as nails under the surface.
1: I think, yeah, we've been, but we've been making TV shows about characters like that and that sort of thing. It's, We've been working on it, I think, and the new Daniel Craig James Bond films helped a lot,
0: a lot, very much so.
1: Um, you know, and other things, Sherlock most recently comes to mind that seems to have done our credibility a great deal of good. I'm you looking- know,
0: it occurs to me that probably my opinion is entirely based on the progression of Bonds.
1: I, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. We are all like that, by the way. We all do have little jetpacks and cars that turn into motorboats. That bit is true.
0: Don't destroy my dream, Rich.
1: It is true, that. It is true. Only my car turns into a small, <laughs> leaky rowboat. That's all. It's not good enough to get away from any bad guys. It's rubbish. Because <laughs> that so often happens to me. Um,
0: It's all part of our American spy fantasy.
1: It is. It's Maybe you all have a little Jack Flack that stays with you all when you need them.
0: I think that uh, the movie was pretty clever about that whole Jack Flack imaginary friend wish fulfillment thing, don't you?
1: I do. I didn't quite... Yeah. I, you had to let go a bit. The bit where he, the guy shoots him when Jack gets shot, that bit didn't quite gel with me. Why? Why did that happen? I mean, I was. it's quite consistent in the kind of, you know, the kid's the only one who can see him. He's entirely in the kid's head kind of thing. They do that You're talking well.
0: about toward the end where the guy has the automatic machine gun yeah. and Davey kind of does a little bit of um, like, oh, no, not over there. And the guy turns around and shoots and you see Jack Flack, but he doesn't. The bullets go through him and hit the brick wall behind that yeah. That part. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I mean, I get the whole the, the mental moving on that he does when Jack's being killed and he's, that's when he loses faith in him and that sort of thing. And he's growing up there. That's, that's what we're seeing. I just don't get why the guy shot him, why he would fire his gun. Because Davy was
0: acting. He kept on glancing over and glancing over. And then he yelled like there was someone over there. So the guy thought that there was someone over there. He spun around and shot.
1: I suppose. But then the, these, these guys anyway, as they've already proven, have no sense of subtlety about them. I mean, just as he's talking about blowing his kneecaps off, I'm sat there thinking, do you know how much noise a kid with a kneecap child would make? You know, if if you're doing this in public, I'm assuming you would like to escape from the law afterwards. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm pretty sure in in America, in any real civilized country in the world, if you start murdering a child in public, someone's going to come and see what's going on. I well, expect- that's a major
0: part of the movie, because Davey's hiding out in plain sight for a large part of the, the the big chase sequence in the middle. And there's two really big, beefy guys chasing him through public, and nobody seems to be at all perturbed about it.
1: Yeah, that, that worries me. It, you do have to suspend a lot. I honestly think in real life something would happen. I mean- well, it
0: was filmed in Texas. All
1: right, does that...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be set there, where... <laughs> just you know.
1: kill your kids in Texas. That's yeah. they're, they're up for that. Everybody's
0: packing a gun there, so...
1: Yeah, why not shoot at the kids? <laughs> maybe so. It seems a bit harsh, though. Or maybe it's just one of those things because so many people see it, like that, that woman that was stabbed and no one saw what happened. That was that... I You always get taught this in team-building exercises and things like that at work. It's supposed to teach you to report problems and things like that. But I think there was this case where a woman was stabbed in public and died on the street and like 30 people saw and everybody thought everyone else was doing something about it and nobody did anything you can see the moral story in the workplace about this can't you this happens
0: surprisingly often um there was a story a little while ago i think it was earlier this year or last year there's a woman who died uh drowned in a public swimming pool where there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in and out and in and out of the pool and she was at the bottom of the deep end and everyone saw her nobody Nobody cared. But her body wasn't discovered for something like three or four days. Nice. Everyone was swimming swimming around the corpse.
1: I think I remember something hearing something about that a while ago. Maybe so. Yeah, so that's that's what's happening to the kid in Cloak and Dagger, I think maybe. It's a possibility. It's as it's as possible as his dad dying in the plane at the end. <laughs> It's so harsh that that's upset me now. You can you so have a habit of doing this with films. You can just do the, you know that film you like that ended really happily. Yeah, well look at it like this: what if, what if instead of saving the universe, he's actually molested in the car by the old man right at the beginning, and the whole thing is just him blocking out the abuse? And like, great, that's the end of the last Starfighter.
0: I like to read subtext of the things though. You think most most things in real life aren't as simple as they seem at first glance. Why would they be as simple at first glance in a movie?
1: That's 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 a very valid view to have. I can't I, argue I don't that, like but... I don't like Hollywood endings either, Rich. Oh, I love Hollywood endings. Everything I like all when right. a movie
0: I like when a movie preaches that there's always a cost for your stupidity.
1: That's that's yeah. That's that's nice. It's, it's a different way of enjoying a film. I just like all the Hollywood magic, you know, all the stuff that they go on about at the Oscars that nobody really thinks about films anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: but uh, this this kid is not only stupid, but he's delusional, and it really made me mad watching it as an adult because, man, this kid just needs some therapy, like serious, serious therapy.
1: Well, he's just lost his mother, He's hanging out with a little girl and a weird beardy man.
0: Yeah, which is something that they don't address at all. This is the, uh, the the Doc Brown syndrome, where for some reason this kid is just allowed to hang out with an extremely older man.
1: It's it's very strange. I uh, I can't think of it happening since Doc Brown. Actually, I think that was the last occurrence of it. There may well be others I don't watch a lot of movies with kids in nowadays, but um, yeah. Very strange. I think you'd have to go some way to explaining it now. Um, Was I right in thinking there was an explanation as to the actual Marty-Doc-Brown relationship?
0: No, they never gave one. It just starts, uh, for whatever reason, Marty's supposed to be at the Doc's house.
1: I'm, I'm searching this. I think one of them said in an interview last year what their actual thinking behind it was. Oh, you
0: mean something outside of the canon that's over in the movies.
1: Yeah. Uh, I th- Yes, it was Bob Gale. Hang on, let me just scan this article now and make sure it's right. The question emerged on the Mental Floss blog, and pretty soon uh, someone by the name of Bob Gale, that would be co-writer of the Back to the Future series, explained the situation. For years, Marty was told that Doc Brown was dangerous, a crackpot, a lunatic... So being a red-blooded American teenage boy aged 13 or 14, he decided to find out just why this guy was so dangerous. Marty snuck into Doc's lab and was fascinated by all the cool stuff that was there. When Doc found him there, he was delighted to find that Marty thought he was cool and accepted him for what he was. Both of them were the black sheep in their respective environments. Doc gave Marty a part-time job to help with experiments tend to the lab and the dog. I think that
0: that would be fine between two adults. But the problem is that at the age of 13 or 14, your mom and dad should still know where you are.
1: I would (laughs) agree with you there. And you shouldn't be skateboarding holding on to the back of cars. But then the movie
0: wouldn't have happened.
1: How old was Marty supposed to be?
0: I Um, thought he was supposed to be a a senior in
1: high school. So that would
0: have made him 18.
1: Yeah, he drove the car. He can't have been 14. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's
0: a little bit more forgivable. Yeah. Still a a little bit creepy, but more forgivable.
1: It is still odd, isn't it? Yeah.
0: But in Cloak and Dagger, you've got a... What's this kid supposed to be, eight years old?
1: If that. He's very young.
0: An eight-year-old kid who's just able to hang out in the back shop of a video game store at the mall with a greasy, fat, Peter Jackson-looking old dude.
1: With an even younger little girl who looks about four years old. I mean, what, what city is this that is so Austin. good? Boston. No, Austin, Boston. Texas. I was going to say, I thought that was in, what are we in, road trip? Austin, Texas. Um, Is it, is it that safe a city you'd just let your four-year-old daughter just go out into, no. into the city? I, no. I don't think so. I I don't know of any city in the world where I'd let my four-year-old daughter just go it's... out for the day.
0: This movie's very much a relic of the early 80s before the whole Stranger Danger campaigns.
1: I suppose so, and no wonder things were so bad. You know, just sending out kids into the city like that, it's just madness.
0: Well, throughout the movie, these two kids, who, like we said, are like six, seven, eight years old, are going on buses, um, walking through the airport alone... Uh, hop in through crowded public areas, outside malls. They take a boat ride.
1: Oh, the airport. When the little girl just goes up to the information desk, where's this flight? And she just tells her, and she goes, like, yeah. where's where's your mother, kid? Why, why are you an infant wandering around an international airport? There's no adult
0: supervision in this movie.
1: None at all. Just the dad that at times feels like he's not a good dad. And I would have to argue, no, you're not. Where's your kid? You're not a good dad. You're just sad. There, am I my harsh there?
0: Um, I th- I think you could argue that as someone who's in the military and has a lot of responsibility, maybe the dad's not emotionally equipped after the death of his wife just recently to to provide for his kid.
1: I suppose so. Are we overanalyzing this film now? I feel like that just got too deep for what this film actually is. Because
0: I think the writers were just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if these kids were all by themselves?
1: It is usually cool. It gives you that extra sense of adventure. It's like The Goonies and other films like that. No adult supervision. You just go and have that adventure.
0: (laughs) But Davey definitely needed some sort of adult oversight because by the end of the movie, he shoplifts commits grand theft auto he murders a guy all because the voice in his head told him to
1: yeah i think it's it's just a matter of time before he starts telling him to burn things and stuff like that isn't it this is a kid burning
0: things isn't as good as murdering a guy that's true (laughs) it's it's pretty much reached its topmost escalation at at the end of the movie
1: he does actually just kill a man doesn't he which is harsh you have gotta
0: wonder about the ensuing court case against davy and his dad
1: I'd like to think that it was one of those things where the police kind of figure out what's going on and they think, oh, we'll leave him, little scamp. Probably self-defense. <laughs> they had machine guns, he's eight. What we, You know, let's. we're not that mean. It's not like yeah. he's going to jail. But yeah, I think he definitely needs some sort of therapy or medication or both.
0: Did you have any doubt in the movie about whether the bad guys were real or whether they were all in Davy's head?
1: I didn't, but that again is a... An interesting concept.
0: Because there is a little bit of doubt early in the movie. You know, we already talked about where the guy in the lab coats gets shot, the, how Davy gets sucked into the plot. It all happens in an enclosed stairwell where no one can see, and when Davy goes and gets a security guard and brings him back, there's no body.
1: I feel it's all a little bit total recall-y now.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on. But as the movie progresses, they do make it discreet that, yes, this is happening. It is real.
1: Yeah. I th- I think that's a nice little touch. It didn't occur to me from watching it myself, though. I'm, but I'm that, not that, that early in the movie, when it comes to films.
0: That early in the movie, there is still some doubt, because you're like, this is a kid who's seen invisible people walking around. He's He's got this imaginary friend who's telling them what to do.
1: That's true. I think maybe because I knew it was real from having seen it sort of 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, I wasn't looking out for that in watching it again. But, again, I totally see where you're coming from with that.
0: Like I said, though, I got a little bit curious about imaginary friends and and what kids do see. And so I started digging around on Wikipedia, which, you know, say what you want, maybe accurate, maybe not. But um, they were talking about how kids who see imaginary friends sometimes can't tell the difference between the imaginary friend and real people, which I thought was really, really interesting.
1: Really? That That would start to worry me, though, if my child thought, an imaginary friend was real.
0: Well, it goes even deeper than that. Some kids um, invent in their minds what's called a paracosm, where they invent this like whole rich fantasy world that they kind of see overlapping all of reality. It's wow. It's re- it's very much real to them.
1: Wow. What, what causes that to happen?
0: Um, it's just a way that the, the kids use to relate to the world, especially, and this is what I found really interesting, especially... When they're coping with the death of a family member, right? which Davey is.
1: This was possibly an incredibly clever script then.
0: Possibly. I have a feeling that it might have started off as something more dramatic and a little bit deeper, and it got kind of co-opted into a a kid's film.
1: Entirely possible. That sort of thing does happen all the time.
0: uh, One quick question, Rich. Yeah? Do you live in the house or near the house where the Bronte sisters grew up? Near the house near the house okay there had been some debate about that
1: it's no it's but, absolutely uh, not in the house okay
0: but the bronte sisters were one of the examples that were used to describe paracosms because each one of them invented their own
1: paracosm really i i yeah. heard they were a funny bunch
0: well they were incredibly incredibly intelligent at a young age and all their family members were dying off because hey as you well know uh, the town put the cemetery at the top of the hill. Yes. Yeah. So all the corpse water was draining off and killing everybody.
1: Yeah. That was it. Uh,
0: so everyone that they, they knew was all dying. It was a pretty dire time. And all three of the girls died in their own turn at very young ages. But they invented these
1: paracosmic
0: fantasy kingdoms that, uh, let's see, I wrote it down here somewhere uh, Gondol, Angria, and Galdine. That they they all wrote all this stuff down that they saw.
1: I know nothing about them, you know. I, I don't. It, no, I know nothing about them.
0: Have uh, you read any of their books? God no,
1: no, not at all. Not even See, close. I, not even I, I considered. I you might
0: find that interesting, because it would be like looking down your street and seeing the setting.
1: I, uh, it's a very bleak setting. <laughs> I, I tend to not try and look down the street so much. Um, no, it's just never interested me. Maybe I can give it a go in a bit. I bet they're all free Kindle books now because they're old enough. More than likely. I'll, I'll give it a go after it.
0: I Wuthering think. Heights, Jane Eyre, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Those are the three that get thrown around in most um, entry level British lit classes. Oh, it all sounds so boring.
1: Oh, um, in some so ways. In old, some ways. Old English stuff. It's really dull, you know. <laughs> it really is. Have You ever read Shakespeare? It's really yeah, boring.
0: Not, no, it's not.
1: <sighs>
0: Let's not get sidetracked in no. that conversation because we've argued that one too. No,
1: it's it's valid stuff I just see. Puts me to sleep sometimes. Unless you see it live because there's always a shouty bit just as you sort of drift in a bit and someone will shout and you'll oh, wake up in your seat. It. It's, it's great for that.
0: Go watch Patrick Stewart's Hamlet.
1: I would love to actually. My mum and dad have seen that, you know. They did. You hear the story of how they got to see that? No. That they just they were in Stratford for a weekend away, sort of thing, and uh, happened by the theatre, and sort of just you you know just as passing. Do you fancy going in? Shall we see if we can get a seat for something? Okay. And they went in, and just said, "Have you got seats for tonight's performance?" No, sorry, we're all sold out. Have been for ages. They turned to start walking out the front of the theater and the phone rings in the box office they see the woman taking a, a brief phone call and she shouts them back calls them back and says, so we've we just had a cancellation there are two tickets for tonight do you want them yeah fine so they take the tickets and it's goddamn Hamlet with uh, Patrick Stewart and uh, Doctor Who what's wow. his name David uh, Tennant well it depends on which one David Tennant Ah, David Tennant and Patrick Stewart in Hamlet. I've, I've seen the, the televised version of it. No, I watched a bit of it as it was on when Alison was watching it. And it looked really good, but they, they ended up seeing that. And they've since been, they are now really into the Shakespeare thing. <laughs> they go every time there's a new Royal RSC production on. Loving it now, but I'm so jealous that they got to see Captain Picard and Doctor Who in Hamlet by accident that's the thing didn't even plan on it just that lucky
0: now do your do your parents watch star trek no so uh, not not even
1: yeah not even really there to appreciate it my actually my mum might have done but not in the right way
0: did they understand the scale of what they were seeing or why it would have been so desirable to you
1: they did once I explained it to them, but they assured me that they weren't sat there thinking, oh, God, Richard was going to hate us when he hears what we've seen. Or maybe they, in fact, were sat there absolutely pissing themselves, knowing full well how annoyed I'd be. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I bet they've got autographs from the pair of them just at home that they never show me or something like that. You Didn't know,
0: he's me? been splashing up here and there in the news uh, over the last week or so. Uh,
1: which one of them?
0: Patrick Stewart.
1: What's he up to now?
0: Well, the same thing that he's been up to for years. He's been a campaigner for a long time with Amnesty International, um, talking about his his own experience as a small child with his father beating his his mother. Right. Um, but he's part of a, a campaign now to uh, to stop violence against women. It's very interesting reading what he has to say.
1: He's a clever bloke. Um, he's he's just doing a lot of commercials here. He must there sort of must be two or three, maybe four long-running commercials that he's just on all the time. You'll hear Patrick Stewart at least twice every ad break.
0: Um, yeah. he, he's in heavy rotation with a car rental company here now.
1: All right. Here it's Money Supermarket and... God, something else I've forgotten now. Oh, they're all money. Everything here, every advert here now is for some sort of website that allows you to compare things. That That's what it is. Something financial. Do you want a credit uh-huh. card? Compare all the credit cards on this website. And your oh. car insurance and everything else, and it's annoying now. Hmm. We're way off base.
0: Um, <laughs> yes, we, we strayed a little bit again, didn't we?
1: Do you know what? I was actually looking through, uh, as I sometimes do as when I get on IMDb during a show, just looking through the other films of 1984, which I'm sure we mentioned when we did Red Dawn, because it was a, my God, just an incredible year. I, I'd like the idea of us picking another one of these films and talking about them another time. Cause oh, we just, should. Because there's just so many here, but I'm, I'm trying to just sort of find the right one to suggest because I, I don't think it's as simple as just picking the top one.
0: Well, I like the idea of picking one that one of us hasn't seen so that there's an old cultured perspective on it and a brand new shiny perspective on it. Footloose. No, thank you.
1: Okay. Um <laughs> I'm just cuz you know there's what have you got? You've got Amadeus, that's too obvious, as is The Terminator, Ghostbusters and what else? Beverly Hills Cop. These were all sort of movies you should see sort of proper films. Whereas I'm thinking more like Dune. Have you is, is that a I've never seen Dune.
0: Um it's a very very bad movie right. with some really neat parts and once again Have you read the book? No. It's widely heralded as the best science fiction book ever made. Uh, I've read it four or five times. It's an excellent, excellent book that does a terrible translation to screen. Really? Oh, it's just so, and David Lynch describes it as the worst thing he's ever worked on. It was one of his early films, and it was completely yanked out from underneath his control like halfway through. The studio just gave him absolute nightmares the entire time right he, he petitioned to to take his name off the movie and was denied
1: All oh, right. well i'll maybe give the book a read then again i'll put it on the list after it
0: the audiobook might be a good way for you to do it because it, it can get a little bit dry at points reading it right but the audiobook i've heard is uh is is incredible
1: it's a, a dramatization i've nearly bought it from audible on a number of occasions because uh, I hear it's excellent myself, uh, but it, it's uh, it's a dramatization rather than a straight reading of the book, uh, which is what's so popular about it apparently.
0: That that would be interesting.
1: So I'd be willing to give it a go. Do um, you
0: want to? It's on Netflix streaming over here. That would be easy.
1: Well, with that one, should I? I think I should consume the book first.
0: I think so as well.
1: Um. So let's put that one off a little bit because I'll get the the. I'll get that dramatization version of it and I'll do that. I've got, when does my book token come in on audible? I think that comes out on the 22nd because I've just spent this month. I can't even remember what I got with it. I think it was another Stephen King book.
0: Well, while you're reading slash watching that, do you want a suggestion? a suggestion for what we should talk about next week?
1: Do you know what? Let's pick rather than just do another movie straight away. Uh, let me bring up that that Google Doc we had of those original suggestions for episodes because there were some great things in there that we haven't done. Obviously, what with this being episode four and all. Um, just one second. That ah, review cloak and dagger was on there from the beginning. I didn't know that. Oh, did you add that later?
0: It's been added and color coded. See, all right, it's yeah. in green. That right. says next. I see. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yellow what? is upcoming.
1: Oh, Tom Selleck was a cool dude and other manly heroes. Hell, let's do that. Alrighty. righty. Yeah, I like that idea. Let's do that. Tom Selleck was a cool dude and other manly heroes. That's good. I feel I, I want to think of some things that are a bit more 90s-oriented, because we've got we lots of 80s stuff. We have in the 80s,
0: haven't we?
1: <laughs> what, what happened in the 90s? I was really just a petulant teenager. And I know,
0: that's what makes it so hard, is that a lot of the magic came in the 80s, but a lot of the uh, the, the less phenomenal memories came in the 90s.
1: I, it was sort of miserable beginnings preceded by a kind of blurry discovering alcohol ending as a decade. Um,
0: a lot of flannel.
1: A lot of flannel, yes, of course, and, and tool time and things like that, yes, the 90s. <laughs> I remember now. Nineties nostalgia of, Oh right. This is a terrible website I've managed to find. Just by typing the nineties into Google. Tell me about the nineties I do that with Google, I'm sure it's not meant to work like that. Tell me about the nineties, internet. <laughs> Go for it, find and tell me. Yeah. Oh you see, oh this would be interesting if we could do a a a nineties sort of overview, because there's a lot of stuff here that In the 90s, Britain became very Britain oriented, Britain oriented. Uh, We had the Brit pop. We had all of our own comedy stars and everything. And the American input into British culture in the 90s was perhaps at its lowest point in my lifetime. In Mm. our lifetimes, there was there was more British stuff created coming out of this country in the 90s than in the, the decade that preceded or followed it. I think, ah, this could be interesting.
0: Do you want to do an overview of the 90s next week then? Y-
1: I, d- I don't want to pull up, put off Tom Selleck, but...
0: Okay, we'll just add that to the
1: list. Well, yeah, just add it to the list. That That's a good one. Um, I also, because of part of that, you know, I was thinking of some, some putting together some sound clips that would mean a lot to anyone English and just see if they mean anything to you at all. That would, that... you know, that's such a
0: problem because, like I've said before, we export our culture to you, but your culture doesn't really rebound back very well. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm curious to learn how much of it actually does.
0: Um, that might be interesting for you just to throw all kinds—not of, not only sound clips, but names and ideas and movements and musical groups.
1: Yeah, because there'll be stuff that we're, you know, I'm always surprised to hear how badly british musical acts do in america
0: it's terrible um especially when you and allison talk about different music that you like i'm like i, I don't know that group i don't know that group i don't know that group <laughs> and and i pride myself on on being an, a huge music fan so
1: you see it it's a weird thing because we only get the you know we get a lot of stuff coming in as you know and so we assume that our stuff goes out we just don't ever think that it doesn't and no one stops you and goes yeah but no one's listening to this abroad you know because you don't care, because it's popular here, and you you know you realise that this happens with countries like France and Germany and all, all, you know other European countries that all have their own countries' big stars that we've never heard of, but you sit there and you think, well, they speak German, why should they be big here? Right. So you don't think, but you think, oh yeah, but they know about all our stuff in America and Australia and Canada and everything. They must do, but you don't. They really don't. You really don't. No,
0: there's don't. there's lots of things about your culture, Rich, that have just not made it over here. Like cars with three wheels, unthinkable here.
1: See, that was only the one car, and it was <laughs> it was a bad thing, a bad thing.
0: The only reason that I know that it exists is because I saw it in the intro to Mr. Bean.
1: Oh yeah, there's one in Mr. Bean, isn't there? Briefly, yeah. That honestly, you they weren't there weren't lots of them around or anything like that. That was that's the uh, Reliant Robin that car there was a reliant kitten apparently that followed it which was pretty much the same car with a fourth wheel
0: (laughs) you know what always does mystify me about british culture that we get i can never tell how old whatever tv show is that i'm watching because like uh father ted i don't know it could be from the 60s it could be from two years ago wouldn't know
1: um can't tell just by looking at it Nineteen ninety five. Really? Yeah.
0: So a contemporary of Wings, but it looks like Hee-Haw.
1: Yeah. That's wow. it. 1995. Um but uh, I, I What think,
0: about What about Are You Being Served? When did that come out?
1: Oh that would be seventies.
0: Okay, see that looks seventies to me.
1: Yeah, that, that's seventies. That was one of those that apparently was popular, but I hated it. No, it was never watched in my family. It wasn't on the TV when I was a kid. My parents didn't like it either. Uh, I've never met anyone, in actual fact, that has actual fond memories of it and liked and it. Yes. And, and yet,
0: yes. that's one of the British TV shows that gets played over here on American public television as an example of... English culture.
1: Yeah, it is. Re- it's it has been repeated on occasion on high-numbered channels, so to speak. But it's yeah, no one really. You you're not ever going to walk into someone's house and they've got a complete DVD collection of Are You Being Served on the shelf. You're never mm-hmm. going to see that. The the ones we remember most fondly from a while ago would be Faulty Towers, Only Fools and Horses, and various things like that. Are You Being Served was just it was there for camp value lots of gay jokes and various things like that and it kind of makes us cringe a bit now (laughs) yeah it's just one of those it's it's not really we we did excel i don't know how well you guys did this but we did excel particularly in the 70s at making sitcoms that you watch bits of now as examples of look how bad we were we actually made this look at this
0: Look how bad you were quality-wise, or look how bad you were, like... Socially. Socially. Yeah.
1: Socially like, and morally. hey, we
0: were really homophobic.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look at this program where the man's life is ruined because a black man lives near him. Look, we made fun of this for ages. And then look at this other man playing... An, this white man playing an Indian as a moron for an entire two series.
0: He's we have just, a few oh. examples of those, but those tend to be the ones that don't get in reruns anymore.
1: Oh yeah, because they, of that very reason. They, they they don't get rerun anymore. No, because you just couldn't you couldn't do it. You only see them in sort of when they do the hundred whatever sitcoms of ever, and they play two minutes of it as just as an example.
0: Even things like All in the Family or The Jeffersons, which were made specifically to tackle those issues.
1: Do you know? I think it was All in the Family that was remade here as something.
0: Actually, I think it's the other way around. Yeah, that we was... We remade something English into All in the Family.
1: Yeah, I think you remade Till Death as Due Part or something like... Yeah, you did. I've got it on Wikipedia in here. That was... You see, Till Death as Due Part, that could possibly be replayed because of the attitude with which it was made. It was purposefully made to make fun of the racist people. They, they had the extremely racist character, but the point was was that he was the idiot and everyone made fun of him. But I think the problem was was that the people they were making fun of were actually too stupid to get it and did hail him as some sort of hero. Right.
0: Right, and which is why Archie, Bunky, Archie Bunker here was uh, kind of like the Stephen Colbert of the 70s.
1: Right. I see. Oh, I didn't know that these... You the, see, All in the Family and Archie Bunker, these are things I've heard of, but I've, I've never seen or I, I don't know what they are.
0: Oh, All in the Family so smart. I love that show. I'll watch it now in reruns if I ever catch it.
1: Right, yeah. We well, we don't get reruns of Till Death Do Us Part or anything like that. The worst one was Curry and Chips with Spike Milligan. That was just, I mean, for such. Are you, are you familiar with who Spike Milligan was? Not at all. That might be, I need to put together something to educate you along that way. What, literally one of the greatest comedy minds, perhaps, that has ever lived. He he worked with Peter Sellers in, in their youth, and they sort of came up together and made their, their name together. <laughs> um, so, he, you know, he was quite easily on a par with Peter Sellers, who you'll well, definitely have heard of.
0: I'm a fan of Peter Sellers. Yeah. So-
1: uh, you, Anything
0: that, anyone who can be associated with him is automatically on my good list.
1: You'd love Spike Milligan stuff. I mean, it's one of those. If there were no Spike Milligan, you wouldn't have heard of Monty Python. That Monty Python wouldn't have existed because it would not have been preceded by the Goon Show, which was Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers, and other people as well. It was what you know, one of those things, back in the days of just radio. Uh, but he did this show where he he played an Indian man. Uh, it was it was possibly the most offensive thing ever put on film until Fisher
0: Stevens came along.
1: I was going to say until Transformers Three. <laughs> Fisher Stevens <laughs> won an award for racial sensitivity.
0: Yeah, for Short Circuit and Fisher, Short Circuit Yes, too. he did.
1: He won awards yeah. for that from 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 oh my god from race equality groups and things like that. I might have made up that as a thing, but no, he really did win awards. He wasn't offensive. Spike Milligan was offensive. <laughs> he was offensive. This was in a period, you know, it was it was really not long ago that we had, like, you'd see signs in windows like no Irish, no blacks, no whatever. All of you fuck off. Ah, really. Sort of perhaps just when before you, I was born. Sort when of,
0: you say not too long ago, like, you you said the 80s? Well, no,
1: sort of mid to late seventies just oh, okay. that sort of thing would have been coming to an end just before I was born we're We're an extremely uh, racist nation in in many ways, but we we get over it by being non discriminatory racist we We hate everyone equally there's there's no we're not singling anyone out at all generally we hate everyone uh that's not you ours. know.
0: There's been some cultural call-outs to that lately, how uh, a lot of the people of Irish and Scottish and English descent in the United States are now the ones who are completely for building a a giant wall along the Mexican border to keep all those dirty Mexicans out.
1: It's something we've been doing for years. Have you ever heard of Hadrian's Wall? We we, (laughs) we were doing this 2,000 years ago. What's up there, Scottish people? Well, you'd better build a big wall then, I think. The,
0: the irony here, though, being is that the the Irish, especially, were not wanted in America at the turn of the t- the twentieth century.
1: Do You know, and I, now
0: they're the ones who are so against people of any kind of Latin descent coming into the U.S.
1: I I still need somebody to tell me what was so bad about the Irish because well, they
0: were taking our jobs.
1: I, of, of all the Irish people I've ever met. I've found them all to be quite warm, friendly people. Certainly not people that you would start some sort of war of persecution against. Yet yeah, we've been killing them for years in various forms. That's <laughs> you know, everyone has been hitting on the Irish. It's like what what have they ever done? N- nothing. They all they all they do generally is they're the one that's pissed in the corner singing the songs, and they always get you singing along with them, don't they? You know, I am stereotyping the Irish greatly there, but. I've never been to a party where there wasn't a drunk Irishman in the corner singing, so I I don't know is that is that stereotyping or not. I I believe they they send them out to parties. It's a government scheme.
0: I think it's all about economics. The the Irish were at one time the the poor contingent of Europe and and people in comfortable places and and places of power are often worried about the, the economically disenfranchised.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. But no, Irish, lovely people. Yeah, great Guinness. What can you say? As they say that, Graham Lineham is tweeting all over the place, creator and writer of Father Ted. Sorry, I never see him tweet, and suddenly he's all over as we're talking about Irish people. (laughs) Quite bizarre. Um, Well, we're coming up to an hour here. Should we we stop this for now? Because we've kind of left. I think we exhausted Cloak and Dagger pretty early on.
0: You know, to be perfectly honest, there wasn't a whole lot to mine out of Cloak and Dagger. It was an okay, fun film um, 30 years ago. Didn't really hold up.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm glad I saw it again, though. I'm probably not going to watch it again now.
0: No, I think this will be my last viewing, too. But it brought back some really great memories of early childhood and hanging out in the living room with the little brother.
1: I still kind of wish I'd bought that VHS of it the other week for further nostalgia purposes, but... I don't know. I even remember my dad going to the, when the video store was closing down and they were selling off all their old, vi- that was one he went to try and get for me and couldn't oh, find it.
0: not there. Not yeah. there. It's, it's, it's one of those action fantasy movies that, um, that was on heavy rotation in our household. You know, um, the last Starfighter we already talked about. We've, we've mentioned the last Starfighter so many times on remastered already. This is kind of weird. But um, did you know that Cloak and Dagger actually was released as a double feature with The Last Starfighter?
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, that's how it got released in theaters.
1: See, we didn't have double features here by then. Ah, uh, okay. okay. I'm, I'm sad to say I have seen one double feature in my life. Ever. And that was Savage Island and Disney's Robin Hood.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Does the name Savage Island mean anything to you? No. There's a film. I want to look up a link before we forget this forever um carry on with what you were saying because I'll, I'll i'll it's
0: it's just one of those ones that um, we had on vhs and played an awful lot other ones like um the Neverending story big that... trouble in china yeah D- daryl do you remember daryl
1: i do remember daryl
0: the little kid robot
1: he used to upset me because of the bit where they took him away from his parents
0: right it was a very sad movie but it was cool because he flew the sr-71 blackbird at the end yeah. Oh, which, by the way, did you happen to notice that on the cloak and dagger tape, that was the the plane that the secret military plane?
1: I didn't notice that. No.
0: Yeah, when when um the weird old guy at the video store un- unlocks it from the tape, it shows the schematics for the SR seventy one Blackbird, and you're like, really, really, this movie was released in nineteen eighty four, and that plane was like not a secret by the seventies anymore.
1: All right. No, I didn't notice that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm having a little problem here. That film I just mentioned is not where it should be. This Uh-oh. Is, by, by which Tommy Lee Jones is in it, and I'm looking up Tommy Lee Jones, and it's not mentioning this film anywhere. Did and he go
0: by a different name at that point in time?
1: No, oh, he was definitely Tommy Lee Jones. Let me see. Oh, he was in an episode of Charlie's Angels once. Who knew? Well... Whoever wrote that on Iron That's Savage Islands, Captain Bully Hayes, 1983. Six out of ten. Worth a watch. Tommy Lee Jones, brilliant. He's a swashbuckling pirate.
0: It sounds like maybe an air pilot?
1: No, no, of, of a boat.
0: Oh, okay, darn. I was hoping we were going for like a, a live-action tailspin kind of thing.
1: No, 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 Just uh, just boats and pirates. It's good, it's good, worth a watch. And Michael O'Keefe from Caddyshack and Roseanne is also yeah. in it. He's the young hero. Oh, okay. If this, if this film were Pirates of the Caribbean, he'd be Orlando Bloom.
0: I was going to ask how it compared to Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Yeah, he'd be Orlando Bloom. Tommy Lee Jones would be Johnny Depp. And it uh, has Jenny Seagrove as well. I think she was married to Michael Winner for a while, but then everybody was. Weird. You'd probably names even... that mean nothing yeah you don't even know who Michael Winner <laughs> is director of Death Wish okay and local hero and a pompous ass, who he appears on television being a pompous ass. I googled him and that was the, yeah. the
0: first phrase that came to mind
1: yeah that's what it is but surprisingly for all his pompous arsery he's been married to some of the world's most beautiful women like a thousand times I, how I don't how he does that. I honestly don't know. I I don't know. So that's it. Let's go. Let's end this now because I'm I'm talking about Michael bloody Winner, and pompous ass. <laughs> really, he he might be a nice guy. Or actually, I think he'd be the kind of guy where he go. Yes, I am a pompous ass. What? What's your, what's your problem? I'm still talking about Michael Winner. Thank you for listening, everybody. All you people in the live chat room. You three guys there. We lost Elton though. Never mind. We do record the show live at midnight every Tuesday night, UK that's, time.
0: That's right, midnight Greenwich time. That's 7 p.m. Eastern Standard until we get to daylight savings in a couple months.
1: Yeah. Look forward to that then. <laughs> uh, if you want to email us, you can do uh, remastered at simply Or we have the forum section where you can come and chat about various things. That forum still doesn't have any spam on it. I'm loving it. Um, we'll be back next week talking about Tom Selleck and other Manly Men. Oh, and donations, please. We desperately need donations for stuff. Is that an appropriate appeal? I I think that's
0: (laughs) entirely appropriate because we, uh, we have always depended on the kindness of strangers.
1: We have indeed. And we need some strange people to be kind to us. Uh, so I'm told that simply syndicated listeners are the place to go to get that sort of thing uh so we'd appreciate it if you could go to simplysyndicated.com and hit that donate button and hit us up with a few quid yeah okay then i i have nothing more to add that's it to this. that was awesome dude all right i can i can hit stop on record so bye bye everybody see you guys